Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, bringing you a fresh new episode of Monday Madness on November 8th, 2021. We've received some more resumes for the student associate position. While we will likely stop accepting them soon, it is certainly not too late to get in on the action. Simply send your resume to podcast at rarepetro.com and let us know you're interested. Very simple. But that's enough for housekeeping. Fall is in full swing, but you wouldn't know it if you were in Southern California like I am right now. I did make a quick trip back to Colorado for the Halloween weekend and couldn't help but ride around town and the School of Mines campus to appreciate those colors. A change of both pace and perspective can really leave you missing those things you once took for granted. Either way, I know you didn't come here to listen to a young guy get all sentimental. You came to listen to the biggest news in statistics and oil and gas. Let's get into it. We started off with WTI prices. At the time of recording, the price is $81.92 a barrel, which is about average for the past month. Sure, we saw a temporary dip below 80 on the 4th of November, but it bounced right back up. Right now, it seems geopolitics is going to attempt to fight to bring the prices even lower. Apparently, the plan to bring back a little bit of production every month to avoid price shocks doesn't exactly jive with the U.S., who is doing its damnedest to limit production domestically. OPEC basically responded to the request by saying, your problem is not our problem. Now the president has released vague threats of dealing with the problem himself. When a reporter asked if the U.S. would be dipping into the strategic petroleum reserve, Biden simply stated there are, quote, tools in the arsenal, end quote, to deal with these situations. Still, even if the U.S. finds a way to put more crude on the market, it may not be so easy to do with natural gas. Speaking of, natural gas prices are at $5.5, which is also on par for the last month. Again, once winter kicks off, these commodities are going to make energy incredibly expensive, which is why our president is likely beginning to sweat. The concern won't just be at the pump, but at the thermostat within one's home. Next, the rig count. Overall, we are up six rigs to a nice round total of 550 rigs in the U.S., which is 250 more than we had this time last year. Looking at the major basins, you'll see that the Permian is still leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else with three new rigs. The Arcoma, Woodford, and Marcellus basins added one rig each to their totals. The Mississippian lost its only remaining rig. Otherwise, not a lot of change. It shouldn't surprise you that, state by state, Texas dominated with four rigs, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and Pennsylvania each gained one rig, but New Mexico lost one rig, which is likely why the net change in the Permian was three rather than four like the state of Texas. The net change leaves us with nine more horizontal wells targeting mainly oil. The rig count has continued to trudge upwards all year, which, no, is not too difficult to do after 2020, but hopefully these new commodity prices will allow us to see more rigs than we have seen in many years. Lastly, the inventory report. I'm sure most of you know that you can read it on our website as the Weekly Thirsty Thursday report. If you didn't know, Go give it a peep at rarepetro.com so you can at least learn a new cocktail recipe. For those of you who missed it, the EIA has reported another build this week. The prediction of 2.2 million barrels fell shy as it was much closer to a 3.3 million barrel build. The API predicted a slightly smaller build but reported a similar number at about 3.6 million barrels. Five of the six past reports from the EIA have been builds and that only drawdown was pretty insignificant at less than 1 million barrels. We haven't seen a streak of builds like this since back in March. Even then, the following weeks were predominantly drawdowns, and we've witnessed drawdowns for a majority of 2021, so these builds shouldn't be alarming yet. Now that we are counting on crude to continue to build, we look towards gasoline as our champion of drawdowns, and this week it did not fail. The gasoline inventories witnessed a 
1.5 million barrel drawdown, which is not as significant as previous weeks. Still, this leaves it in dangerously low territory ahead of the holidays, which are notorious for travel. As someone who has been traveling on I-5 lately, it is astonishing to see just how many of these vehicles hold a single person, including myself. Gasoline prices increased by only a cent and a half from last week to a U.S. average of $3.42. Is this the beginning of a plateau before the downfall, or is it just the calm before the storm of another price surge? Unfortunately, I believe it's the latter. The minimum price for gasoline is still in Oklahoma at $3.04 per gallon. California remains king to the highest gas prices at about $4.62 per gallon of regular gasoline. The biggest reason gasoline prices slowed their increase likely stems from China. The country released reserves of gasoline and diesel to boost supply to the world market and stabilize demand, or so they said, despite grappling with an energy crisis that they mentioned for most of the world. Here in the States, San Diego has joined San Francisco in complaining about the high prices, which are up $1.39 in the last year alone. Distillates and propane witnessed small builds, but nothing terribly out of the ordinary here. But that should get you all caught up on the most important statistics. Now it's time we visit some news stories, starting with the U.S. Methane Emissions Reduction Plan, and this might be our only story of the day. It was released last Tuesday, so this is the first chance Monday Madness has had an opportunity to review it. The original document is a brief 20 pages outlining four areas of improvement along within other area. Those four areas? Agriculture, coal mines, landfills, and of course, oil and gas. Now methane is being targeted specifically because climate experts say it has 80 times the warming power in the first 20 years compared to its good friend CO2. Organizations like the Environmental Defense Fund are quick to point out the biggest offenders of methane emissions are usually oil and gas companies. So what change does this action plan hope to spur? There are five main subsections. Updating regulations for new and existing wells, reduction of venting, flares, and leaks, boosting the safety of gathering and transmission pipelines, initiatives to reduce leaks and ruptures on distribution lines, and the plugging of abandoned wells. As far as updating the rules of the road for new and existing sources goes, it seems like the EPA is really trying to focus on enforcing cost-effective solutions in the form of technology that already exists, like well liquids unloading and natural gas-driven intermittent vent pneumatic controllers. This would be for any new facilities. As far as existing facilities go, the EPA will be working to create rules for rigorous leak detection and repair at well sites and compressor stations with the addition of the elimination of associated gas venting. It's rules like these that leads to the government to believe that methane emissions could be reduced by 75% in the oil and gas sector. The BLM and BOEM will be working in tandem on the section revolving around reduced flaring, venting, and well leaks on public lands and waters. The BLM plans a regulation under the Mineral Leasing Act, which hopes to dissuade operators from venting or flaring gas. Basically, you'll be required to pay royalties to the feds for gas vented or flared. This is being implemented, well, because let's face it, a lot of energy is wasted on flaring every year. I'm not saying operators have no reason to do it, but there is a significant amount of energy associated with it, and new research is emerging claiming that flaring leaves more methane uncombusted than we originally thought. I think this is going to lead to a big push towards cryptocurrency mining. Why pay royalties on flared gas when you can use that gas to power mining rigs and turn a profit instead? Secondly, the BLM and BOEM are planning to strengthen financial assurance requirements for oil and gas operators. Basically, this means that the operators are going to have to bring a lot more money to the table for a lease if they wish to operate on it. 
This way, the local, state, and federal governments aren't responsible for properly plugging and abandoning these wells. This section is pretty simple overall, and I'm sure you and I both could have predicted this would happen at a federal level sooner or later. Next, boosting the safety of gathering and transmission lines. Here, the DOT's Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, or PHMSA, is advancing some simple regulatory rules. The first rule imposes the existing requirements on over 400,000 miles of unregulated pipelines. This should get those pipelines up to speed and hold them to the same standards that other pipelines already adhere to. The next rule imposes automatic shutoff valves on new pipelines and replaced large diameter pipelines. These shutoff valves will also likely lay the groundwork for rules addressing requirements for rupture mitigation maintenance, inspection, and risk analysis. Lastly, a gas transmission pipeline safety rule which aims to reduce the frequency of leaks and ruptures on more than 300,000 miles of gas transmission lines through integrity management provisions, management of change processes, gas transmission pipeline corrosion control requirements, requirements for inspection following extreme events, strengthened integrity management assessments, and repair criteria for heavily populated areas. Wow. That's a whole lot of rules, and really this section just aims to strengthen the regulations surrounding pipeline operations to first improve safety with the added benefit of making leaks hopefully less frequent. Although, according to the PHMSA's existing data, are already pretty infrequent. The next section of regulatory disclosure and partnership initiatives to reduce methane leaks and ruptures on distribution lines could have been rolled into what we just talked about. I mean, the PHMSA is also taking that one up, but regardless, it basically targets old infrastructure that is needlessly leaking in populated environments. Here, they will be proposing new rules that will require pipelines be upgraded to reduce the number of ruptures and incidents. They will also be working to improve leak detection systems so that they can be more quickly targeted and repaired. This will hopefully vastly improve the quality and operations of those archaic legacy cast iron and plastic distribution pipelines. The last section for plugging and abandoning oil and gas wells falls onto the EPA's plate. The Build Back Better agenda set aside $4.7 billion for well-plugging programs that will allow the Department of Interior to target super-emitters, as they call them, in order to maximize the efficiency of plugging and abandoning. I know $4.7 billion isn't nearly enough to plug and abandon every well, but they will be using existing leak detection technologies to identify methane-dense environments from satellites so that those biggest offenders can be taken care of first and hopefully make the value of that dollar a little bit bigger per project. All of these rules will require a lot more resources, a lot more people, and a lot more time. What does that mean? More money spent by operators to refurbish old infrastructure and improve new infrastructure, and more money spent by midstream and utility companies to improve those pipelines and distribution systems. At the end of the day, this is going to make energy more expensive for the consumers. I wish I would have written down where I saw this statistic, but the cost of going green according to U.S. climate goals will cost about $10,000 per man, woman, and child in the U.S. Of course, that's not all going to be up front. Well, hopefully that's not the policy they end up pushing. That cost is going to get stretched out over time, which is a gut punch because energy inflation is already absurd. But that is all we have for you on today's episode. I know it got long with those rules and regulations, but it's some important stuff that's going to change the future of the industry. Remember, if you have any questions about energy or you feel we said something absolutely wrong and want to call us out on it, send your questions and corrections to podcasts at redpetro.com. Always a pleasure to hear from the audience. Also, you students out there should at least send us your resume if you are interested in the media team position. It's all it takes to get this process started. I think we've probably run a bit long today, so I'll close things out. This has been Tavis Killian with Rare Petro, and until we see you next time, take care, everybody. 